to Junior Church. Everyone else turn to Luke chapter 14. Ladies, appreciate so much you sharing uh, with the flutes and uh, beautiful melody and the words of the song. I hope you followed along. That was just excellent, excellent message, and it kind of fits with what we're going to be talking about again this morning, the fact that they're, Jesus is offering himself, and they're rejecting. Uh, they're just not accepting uh, Jesus' offer of himself or of salvation, uh, none of it. So Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to start. We've been working our way through the life of Christ, studying different things. And even as we start this, it, it, we're going to kind of start and end in the same place, um, you know, time permitting. Um, but he told his disciples from the beginning, if you're going to be my disciple, now not just a believer, you can put your faith and trust in Christ. He says, but if you want to take that next step, you want to be a disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself, you're going to have to be willing to give up your life. And you're going to have to follow me wherever that, wherever that may take you. And um, he's going to reinstitute this again in this particular passage where he's going to, again, stress this fact that uh, there's going to be uh, many that are invited to the feast and come to the feast, but there's only still going to be a few, real honest-to-goodness, disciples. So he tells them that, warns them against the Pharisees. He says, the Pharisees are supposed to be your spiritual leaders. Uh, He said, they are not my disciples, they're false shepherds, they're spiritually blind, they're hirelings, they're after men's applause, uh, and they've refused me, or they've refused the Messiah. He again warns the crowds and the peoples, do not worry about earthly things. He tells his disciples specifically, focus on God and eternity. Be ready, be watching, be working, faithful service. And again, that message should ring true to us at this very moment. Uh, we are, you know, I, we were reminded of some things at our, our conference, and, and I do believe it, it's, it's one of two things. We either, we're either on the verge of an amazing revival, or the Lord is coming back. There, there, I mean, it, it's got to be one of the two. And what is interesting, by the way, we went to a Christian school conference. Every single Christian school at that conference has more students in their school than they've ever had before. Okay? Everyone. Because what's happening is we're beginning to differentiate between light and darkness. And all of a sudden, we have a greater ministry than we've ever had before. The churches have a greater ministry than they've ever had before. And so we either take advantage of this ministry and, and, and the possibility of revival when people finally you know, see that this is, this is not working, this is, the blinders come off their eyes and they're able to see, or the Lord is returning. <laughs> it's going to be the rapture of the church. It's one or the other. And, and you know, I, the, what, is, what are we supposed to do? Well, the Lord says we need to work, be ready, be watching, be working in anticipation of if this is it, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be working, watching, waiting for the Lord's return. God expects and rewards faithfulness. Use what you've been given, and then you'll receive the well done, thou good and faithful servant. He tells the Pharisees, I need you guys to think really hard because you might be wrong about me. The kingdom of God is not an automatic thing, and eternity is a very long time if you miss it. He says, you've been thinking about the kingdom. The kingdom is a narrow gate. There is many that respond too late. There's many that think they're okay and are not getting in. 
Many will make it. But then he specifically says to the Pharisees, but not you. But not you. Because of, because of their unbelief. Well, the Pharisees and some other people warned Jesus, hey, you better, you better leave Jerusalem because if Herod hears about you, Herod's going to come and kill you. <laughs> and of course, Jesus refers to Herod as that old fox. He said, you tell him that I'll, I'll leave when my work is done. Okay? Which again shows the, you know, the omnipotence of God. It's like nothing's going to happen to Jesus until it's time. And uh, I'll, I'll leave when my work is done. Besides, I'm safe in Jerusalem. <laughs> what, what prophet was ever killed in Jerusalem? And so Jesus used a little bit of sarcasm as the very next verse says, Oh, woe unto you, Jerusalem. And he weeps over Jerusalem. Still talking to the Pharisees, and he says to them, You have no compassion. Uh, in regards to the, <clears throat> the man who had the, the dropsy, congestive heart failure, and Jesus says, Is it all right to heal him on the Sabbath day? They didn't say anything, they stayed quiet. So you have no compassion. You have no humility. You seek the chief seats. You have no love and heart for serving others. You've, you know, you've invited your friends and, and, and your brothers and your family. You need to invite to this feast the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And again, we're continuing. If you go all the way back to chapter 14, verse number 1, this is still part of this feast. Jesus was invited to this feast or this meal at one of the chief Pharisees' houses, and he's still continuing with this idea as he talks to them. Verse number 15, chapter 14, verse number 15. <clears throat> and as Jesus is talking to them, he says, verse 13 again, when you do make this feast, you need to, don't invite your friends. Don't invite your friends, your brethren, your kinsmen, your neighbors. Invite the poor, maimed, lame. They can't pay you back. Don't do it for some kind of you know, other reward. You just do it out of a heart of love. It says, for they cannot recompense thee. Then he says in verse 14, and one of them that sat at meat with him and heard all these things, said, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, who is, who is at the, who's at the feast? A couple verses earlier, Jesus says, it is your, it's your fellow Pharisees, because they're all fighting over the chief seats, who who's gets the best place. It's your brothers, it's your family, it's your rich neighbors. Okay? It's who's who in Jerusalem as the ones who have been invited. And so one of those guys say, well, isn't it going to be great when we all get to heaven? What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And you know what Jesus says? We're not all going to heaven. Uh -huh. What? And by the way, just because you sing the song doesn't mean you're going either. <laughs> doesn't, even, though the fact you, even though you know there's a heaven doesn't mean you're going. Everyone who talks about heaven isn't going there. And this is what Jesus, this is the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders. Everybody, everybody in Jerusalem, everybody in Judea, everybody in Galilee, they're looking at these people. If anybody's going to make the kingdom, it's going to be them. And we're all in because we're, we're born Jews, right? And, and the kingdom of God is for the Jewish people, and we're born Jews, and the Pharisees are super good Jews. Won't it be great? Blessed is he. To be envied is he that shall eat in the kingdom of God. Then said Jesus unto them, let me tell you a story. A certain man made a great supper and bade many, invited lots of people. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. 
And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. Began to make excuse. Jesus is offering them an invitation to be part of the kingdom. It's a narrow road. Not everybody's going to make it. Some are going to respond too late. I can't remember the exact wording, um, but I was doing a funeral one time, and I started out by saying something to the effect that when a person passes away, not everybody automatically goes to heaven. And the lady in the front says, oh, yes, they do. Okay. Um, <laughs> now we have actually a teaching session at a funeral. <laughs> um, He's inviting them to be part of the kingdom. He's inviting them to salvation. He's inviting them to accept the Messiah. He's a guest. This is a guest at their dinner. Wouldn't it be great? This guest's participation in heaven is assumed because of his birth, because he's a Pharisee. And again, by the way, if you think of the story, if you go back to, we're studying this Sunday morning in our Sunday school class, but if you think of the story of Nicodemus, how does Jesus start with Nicodemus? He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Why? Because your physical birth is not enough. That's what they thought. I'm a Jew. I'm born a Jew. The kingdom of God is for us. I'm in. I'm a child of Abraham. I've got it made. I, one day everything is miserable now. One day everything's going to be great for us because we're God's people. And Jesus tells him, no. Nicodemus, you need to be born Again, this earthly birth into a Jewish family does not put you in the kingdom. Not everybody who's invited will come. And by the way, this is not a last-minute invitation. By the way, there's a somewhat of a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to kind of refer back to it with some of the, some of the slides up here. But this is not a last-minute invitation. Look at verse number 16 again. Then he said unto them, certain man made a great supper and bade many. He invited many, okay, in 16. And then he said, uh, he sent a servant at supper time to say to those that were bidden who had already been invited, come for things are now ready. It's kind of like you get an invitation and you go, okay, and then you and call and say, okay, now it's ready. Come on, it's time to eat, okay? And so not everyone who's invited will come. And um, let's look at... Um, Parallel passage here in Matthew. It says, uh, Jesus answered and spake unto them again in parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden who have already been invited. Behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatlings, uh, are, are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. They've been invited. Now it's time to come. And let's just take this from a Jewish context again. The prophets, God's servants, they've come and they've warned. And, and John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Warning, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. You've been invited. You've been invited to be a part of God's kingdom. You are God's chosen people. You've been invited. You've got the first invitation. And Jesus said, and now Jesus is on the scene and said, now it is time to eat. It, it's ready. 
You've been invited before, and you kind of ignored some of the invitations. You've ignored my servants. Sometimes you've beaten my servants. Sometimes you killed my servants. But now it now is the time to come. It is ready now. It's ready now. And so, uh, and if you go back to, you know, just turn back to chapter thirteen of, of of Luke again at the end, verse number thirty-four. He says, "Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, which kills the prophets." You stoned them that uh, are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. I've wanted over and over. But come now, it's ready. Now again, I wonder if you've ever heard those words from your own mom. Okay. <laughs> There's a couple things I remember very, very clearly. Mom calling us for supper. Two things happened. My mom had an incredible set of lungs. She still does, by the way. She, she's 91, and she still sings, and, and she still has a very, very strong voice. Never, ever took a, a singing lesson. Uh, she owes it all to me um, because um, we got her voice ready by yelling so much, and so she's got a very strong voice. My mom would yell for us kids. We'd been out in the neighborhood playing, and she would yell for time to eat or whatever time to come home. And my mom would yell. My dad said, well, this is ridiculous. My, my, my wife is yelling all over the neighborhood. This is ridiculous. So he installed a bell. And a little button underneath the kitchen sink, you push this little button, and this bell rang. Okay. <laughs> the bell did not have near the range that mom had. Okay. So this really messed me up, because now I have to be closer to home come time for supper. If you don't hear the bell, you're too far away. And I'm like, oh, no. So I had to have like little minions along the way. Like, if you hear the bell, come tell so-and-so. And, they, and, and when you hear the bell, come tell me, and, you know, to, to get back in time. Because <laughs> you're not going to be yelling all over the, all over the universe. And so uh, mom would yell. The other thing I remember when she'd say, it's time for supper. And you just a minute. The next word would be, now. Okay. It's like, come, it's ready now. No, not just a minute. Uh, it would be now. Uh, again, this is uh, something that young people will have no concept whatsoever of what I'm about to share. Okay? I was as cheap as I could possibly be. A uh, 45 vinyl record in the store was about 99 cents. I am not spending 99 cents for a record. When I can get it off the radio, okay, so I'd get my <clears throat> cassette player, okay, and set it on record and pause and had the radio right beside it. So that when the songs would go through the radio, all of a sudden, you know, I'm waiting for, my, waiting for the song, waiting for the song, waiting for the Sometimes they would announce it ahead of time. Sometimes you'd get Casey Kasem so you knew what order your song was. How many know who Casey Kasem is? Uh, you're old if you just raised your hand. All right. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, you're waiting for your song, and the song comes up, and it's like, boom, I hit, the, I hit the release, the pause button, and I'm recording my song. But you understand, there's no chords between the things. So in the middle of some of my songs are, it's time for dinner. It's time. I'm like, Ugh! I have been waiting and waiting, and I cannot believe you just, I'm, I'm like, and I run out of just a minute. I'll be there in a second. The song's not going to... Come now! 
might as well, because <laughs> it's like this one's gone. This is the, I'm going to have to do this again. Now, now, now. Come now. We're not, I'm not waiting. No, it's ready now. Come now. That's the message. And then excuses start to abound. Now, my excuse was pretty good. I'm recording a song. I, it's a pretty good excuse. And they all with one accord, verse number 18, one consent, began to excuse. The first said, I, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee let me have, be excused. And another said, I bought a five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I want you to know that this is designed on purpose to be lame excuses. These are not good excuses. These are lame excuses. And by the way, I am the champion of lame excuses. Okay? Ask Bill. We play golf together. And my back's killing me. I can't move. Or sun's in my eyes, and... And it's too dark, and that we can't see. We, we, play, we play in the dark, and it's like we hit the ball, and whoever can find their ball wins. Um, mine only goes 10 feet, so I usually win. <laughs> um, clubs are bent, or, uh, you know, that squirrel, you know, messed me up as he ran. You know, I'm full of excuses, lots and lots and lots of them. Um, these are ridiculous. Uh, it's like you want to get out of something. I, uh, um, Larry, I'll be back in a minute. I think I hear the phone ringing. <laughs> okay? I got to get out of here, okay? Um, I, you know, that day, you know, when, somebody, when somebody comes up to me and they ask you something like, uh, what are you doing on uh, Thursday? I don't know. It depends on what you're going to ask me. Right? The dummy says, oh, nothing. I'm a free on stuff. <laughs> no, 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 no. You kind of go like, um, Thursday, Thursday. And then if you find out, you know, you said, well, I, I think I could, oh, I need you to move furniture and all this kind of stuff. You're like, oh, oh, you mean this Thursday? Oh, well, <laughs> some lame excuses come in very, very quickly. Um, that's the day I feed my goldfish. Um, this, one's, this one's a real one. Uh, I have to attend the funeral of my wife's cousin's pet. <laughs> this one's a real one. My uniform caught on fire. This is why the person didn't, didn't show up for work. Their uniform caught on fire. They were trying to dry it in the microwave. Uh, <laughs> um, but this one is, I've bought some land. I need to go see it. Okay. Who does that? You buy land without seeing it? Now, they are trying to sell houses nowadays without you seeing them because they sell so fast. It's like, just put your name in a hat, and as soon as one, you know, we sort of know what you want. I don't think I could buy a house without seeing it. I don't think I'm going to buy swampland without going through it a little bit, don't you? And plus, there's another little thing. Well, I'll, I'll save it for the next one. Uh, I, I bought land. I need to go see it. And I, I, bought a, I bought a tractor. I've got to go try it out. I have no idea what I'm doing. But at least when I buy something, I pop the hood and at least pretend like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I kick the tires once in a while. I don't know why. But it seems like the right thing to do if you're going to buy a car. And, and, and who buys a tractor without trying it out first? Now, this is a five oxen powered tractor. Um, or five yoke, it's a five yoker. Um, I take it for a test drive. Um, there's another problem with this. What, what meal are we going to? We talked about this last week. What meal have they been invited to? Well, yeah, it's a marriage feast, but 
breakfast, lunch. It's a supper. Do you understand the possibility that it's dark outside? I'm going to go check out that piece of land I bought. <laughs> it's dark. Well, I'm going to go uh, try out my tractor. <sighs> but you say, Pastor, tractors have lights. These are oxen. Okay. <laughs> okay. They don't have headlights. They don't have lights all over the place. I married a wife. I cannot come. Who's running the house? In answer, is my wife doesn't want to come. <laughs> I can't come. It's not me, it's her. Why can't I come? Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapped up in land, possessions, and family. Those things are hindering me from coming to the banquet. Notice, please. Verse 21. So the servant came back to the master and showed the Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said unto the servant, Go out quickly, because everything's ready. Go out quickly unto the streets, the lanes of the city. Now, they're still in the city. It's kind of interesting, okay? And so almost the invitation is, the invitation has been to the Pharisees. From the start, who knows the Scriptures? Who knows? The Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, they know the Old Testament Scriptures. They know everything there is to know about the Messiah and the Messiah's coming. Remember when they came, even when they came to, the, the wise men came to Herod, Herod didn't have any clue what was going on, but they, they searched the Scriptures. Found, oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus saith the Scriptures. They knew this stuff. And so we came first to them, and, and you have all the, you've had the invitation, you've had the invitation for some time. But the masses of the people out in the streets evidently haven't heard that from you. Evidently you haven't invited them. And so now go out into the streets and invite these people, the streets and the lanes of the city, bring them in, the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. The master is angry. Again, look at the parallel passage in Matthew 22. They're invited, but they made light of the invitation. Well, it's, if we don't come, it's no big deal. I mean, they'll have church next Sunday, right? We don't have to be here this Sunday. They'll have it next Sunday, and it's not that big a deal. They made light of it and went their way, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. <coughs> the rest took his servants and treated them spitefully and, and slew them. It's like, you know, stop bothering me about this banquet thing. Just, just go, just get out. <laughs> And you've been invited to a wedding, and you said, I don't, you know, and, and you killed a messenger? And, and that, the more I think about that, that actually does make some sense. Um, <laughs> when the king heard thereof, he was angry and sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up the city. So when we talk about the fact that God's angry at this, man, you had all the information. You had all the stuff. I sent my servant the prophets. I sent them, and... and you're just like your fathers. You've rejected, you've rejected, you've rejected. He's angry. He's angry. And he said, go quickly out into the streets. The poor, the maimed, the maimed is somebody who's been wounded, lost the use of, or crippled. Halt is somebody who limps and lame, can barely. Uh, actually, that was kind of interesting. When I looked up uh, Webster's Dictionary, it's amazing. Look at the word lame. It means to walk lamely. Um, so, 
uh, and the blind. Now, if anyone, think about this one for a minute. If anyone has an excuse not to go, uh, hey, you've been invited, I'd, I'm blind. I don't know where it is. I don't know how to get there. I, I, I can barely walk. <laughs> I, I don't have money for the bus to get across town. I can't, I can't take a taxi. I'm, I'm poor. How am I going to get? These are real excuses. These people would have real excuses if they wanted to. But notice the response. <coughs> Go quickly into streets and the lanes of the city. The poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, these are the ones that Jesus has been healing these people. He's been working with them on a daily basis. And the servant said, it is done as thou commanded, and many of them have come, but yet there is still room. Some Jewish people did make it. Some people who walked with Jesus and were in those crowds, they did make it. They did respond. And again, excluded, these maimed, lame, blind people would be excluded from the temple and excluded from worship, but they're not excluded from God's kingdom. The Pharisees would keep them out because there's a deformity, there's a problem, there's a difficulty. Uh, there's something wrong here, and, and, and this blindness is probably due to sin, so you can't come into the temple. <laughs> and God says, you can come in my house. You can come to me. Then he says, go out. There's still room left. And the Lord said unto his servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Those first invite, in, whatever, invitees, okay? The ones that had all the excuses, they're not coming. Go out into the Gentiles, the highways and byways. The word compel is interesting as well as you look at the word compel in here. Compel them to come in. Uh, the word compel means to urge forcefully. So maybe when we witness to others, we need to urge forcefully. I kind of insist that you really think about this. This is a big deal. This is important. John MacArthur said, sometimes it seems like God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are to be saved. None of the first of the end those first invited will, will taste. By the way, the blind can't buy real estate. The poor can't afford the tractor. The leper isn't allowed to get married. So all those excuses don't even exist for them. <clears throat> Matthew 22, verse number 8. Should be the next one up there. Then Jesus saith unto his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Look at the next passage in Proverbs as Solomon talks about this, uh, God's response to people that refuse him, okay? God says, because I've called you and you refused, I've stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you have said it not all my counsel. You couldn't care less about my counsel and my advice. You would have none of my reproof. You're not listening to anything I say when I'm trying to correct you. Also, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then you'll call on me, oh, I, oh, God, please help. I will not answer. They will seek me early. They will not find me. Remember, the door of the ark is shut. The, the invitation is closed. For they hated knowledge. 
They did not choose to obey and honor and fear God. They would have none of God's counsel. They despised, couldn't care less about all of his reproof. Therefore, they're going to eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. You're going to get what you have coming to you. Now quickly, I know I don't have time to develop this as I would like to, but I want to start. The first invitation here is to salvation. I I invited, I want you to be a part of my kingdom. Uh, Jewish people, leaders, kings, priests, rabbis, leaders, here's all the information you need. You've got all the Old Testament scriptures. They have them. They know them. The scribes wrote them over and over. The, The lawyers memorized them. They knew the scriptures. The Pharisees were were skillful in the word of God. I gave you the first invitation. First of all, you've shared that invitation with no one. <laughs> Secondly, you've rejected that invitation. You've come up with all kinds of sorry excuses why you're not going to accept it because it's time now to come. It's time now to receive me. And they're not doing it. And so the first is an invitation to come to God's house, to come to salvation. And again, he wants us to come. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it, there's no such thing as too many. But as you look at verse number 25, it says, There were great multitudes that were with him, and he turned and said unto them, If a man come to me, and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross, you should sound, this should sound familiar to you, and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you intending to build a tower sit down first, does not sit down first and counts the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he had laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that beheld it shall begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he hath cannot be my disciple. He says three things very quickly. He says there's a great multitude here with me and following me, but how many of you will be sold out disciples? There's a great multitude that are coming. You've been invited to the feast, and I'm glad you're coming, but who's going to be my disciple? Who's going to be sold out disciple? Will your family be a hindrance to this? Will your family keep you from serving? Will your love for family keep you from service? Is it Jesus or family? This is a hard, 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 hard choice. We must assume Peter had a mother-in-law, he had a wife. Whether he had children, we don't know. It's not nothing's recorded. But Peter is now giving up his life and more or less his family to be a follower of Jesus. Also, in a Jewish context, if you were a follower of Christ, you could lose your job, you could lose your business, you could lose your occupation. Uh, the family might reject you and disown you. You might lose your family. And I don't, I don't want to risk that, so I'll remain a silent follower. I don't want to risk that. What he's saying when he talks about hating, he says, Our love for God should be so great, our love for others appears to be hate. And I am to love my, my wife, I'm to love my family, I'm to love my children. Uh, greater than I love myself. 
But the love for them that is so great and God promotes and, and tells us to do so, he says, I want you to love me more than that. And so literally, you know, we do this Jesus and others and you. That's the way to spell joy, okay? Well, this is it right here. He says, I, you need to love family more than yourself. My wife is more important than me. My children are more important than I am. I need to put my family before myself. And then it says right in that passage, it says, and, and it says if, you, if you don't hate your family and even your own life also. Because the order of events is Jesus, family, you. And some of us never get past the you part. Because I love myself so much, okay, that we really don't love our families like we should. But then loving family, this is, this is hard stuff. But Jesus is looking for exclusive people. Sold out ones. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is Paul talking, and it is believed, some believe that Paul was married and his wife died because supposedly there was a rule in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married or whatever, I don't know. But at this particular time, Paul is without a wife or without a companion. And he says, I would that all men were even as myself, meaning single, unattached, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, another after that. It's like, it's, you know, not everybody can live this single life. Later in the passage, he goes, but I would have you without carefulness. Here's how this works. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference also between a wife and an unmarried woman. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit. I'm, I'm telling you this for your own benefit. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. He literally recommends a single life if you're going to go all out for God. Wow. Wow. Now, I counter this, if it's possible to counter Paul's gospel, Paul's, Paul's epistle writing. I counter it by saying, when I talk to couples and, I, interested in, and they're interested in getting married, I tell them that you have to believe with all your heart that the two of you can, together can do more for the Lord than you can do by yourself. Okay? Now think about that one for a minute. Paul just said that all by myself, without attachments, man, I can go all out for God. And I just said the two of you together have to believe that you can do more for God together than you can separately. That's a lot of thought goes into that one. My answer to it is we have three children and so now there's five of us that are serving God instead of just one of us. My children are all married, so now there's eight of us that are serving God, not just one of us. We have ten grandchildren. Now there's 18 of us that are interested in the things of God. So I'm pretty sure that my wife sort of helped in this department. Um, 
the two of us together can do more than any one of us can do separately. But you have to raise your family in a way that's pleasing in God's sight and have strong, strong arrows and good arrows. And This is a hard thing. This is, and, and even to the point where the disciples at one point go, um, Lord, then uh, who then should get married? Because <laughs> like, they're questioning this whole idea. Will your family get in the way? Will your life get in the way? And then he says, I want you to count the cost. I don't think I put the passage up here about the living sacrifice. I did. Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Those are two different things. Salvation is one thing. This is something else. This is not talking about salvation. This is talking about dedication. I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and now my life is His. I'm laying my life on the altar. I'm not, I'm not dying. I'm giving Him my life. I have a living sacrifice. I heard this weekend that the problem with living sacrifices is that they have the ability to get up and get off the altar. Hmm. And so maybe we need to get back on the altar. Living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. Do not fit this world's mold, but be changed in your head. Be changed in your head that you can prove what is due. You know what is right. You know what is best. What is, what, is the, what is acceptable in God's sight, perfect and acceptable will of God. He says, I want you to come into my house and I want you to take part of the feast. I want you to be there. <laughs> Some of you dummies are coming up with all kinds of excuses why you don't want to come. It's fine. I, I'll fill the house with whoever, want, who, whoever will come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I, I, whosoever will may come. But I'm also looking for those who are real honest to goodness disciples. Somebody who's not going to be held back by family. Not going to be held back by their own wants and their own desires, their own selfishness. And not somebody who hasn't already counted the cost. And he says... And this is probably the most important thing. Think about it before you say that. This is not an easy thing. This is not a flippant thing. You better count the cost, what this means. Again, you're going to deny yourself. I, it's not what I want. It's what God wants. You could die. Every single one of these disciples who said, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go, whatever you do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. They were signing their own death warrant. They were giving up their lives and signing their death warrant to be a follower of Jesus. No wonder why there's only 12. The song I'm about to play for you is, is not new. Some of you have heard it before. It's an extremely difficult song to follow and and. It's difficult to sing because I think, again, when you sing a song, you have to mean it. I heard this song the very first time. Um, I was in my 20s. These missionaries were in their 20s as well. Paul and Pam Griffiths. They were with New Tribes Mission at the time. 
And uh, they were going to Venezuela. They were going to the border of Venezuela and Brazil. They were going to work among the Yanomami Indians. And they did, and they went. And by the way, they sang together. They sang in our church. They did a presentation. They sang in our church. They sang the song, and later I got a copy of it because they did put out a tape. He had a wonderful voice and could play the guitar. And, and they sang this, whatever it takes. She wrote a letter back one time telling about the fact that they were, you know, the Yanomami Indians, she said, she said, you didn't have to worry about knowing where they were. You could smell them coming. And they were no close. Um, they would stare in the windows all the time at them, you know, trying to, because they're strange and different people. Um, they were so far out in the jungle that the airstrip, they'd get care packages like once a month or something dropped on the airstrip. And there was a poisonous snake wrapped around the chair one time at their dining room table, and they didn't find it till after they had gotten up from the table. And she said, I feel safer here in the jungles of Venezuela than I do in the, in the cities. In God's will is better than out of God's will anywhere. Prior to age 30, she developed a heart problem and a difficulty. And uh, she literally died there in Venezuela because they couldn't get anybody in, in time to give her help. She died there. She was buried there. Paul returned home, and her parents hated him. Why did you take our daughter to that God-forsaken place? This is your fault. Our daughter is dead. A few years passed. Paul remarried and went back to work amongst the Yanomami Indians. Same place. Same people. Porter, if you're ready. I hope it plays. It worked in practice. not a strong enough signal. Let me read it through to you and then we'll, we'll play it next week for you. Um,
stuff. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. 
Maybe have even a partial interest, desire to be a disciple of that caliber. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for heaven. And Lord, I do pray if there's someone here that has not accepted that invitation, that have put it off with some kind of lame and flimsy excuse, may they get that matter taken care of right away. And those of us who have been saved and some for a very long time, maybe we need to get back up on the altar of a living sacrifice. If there really isn't much time, what do we have to lose by going all out for you? In Jesus' name we pray.